I'm David Woods-Hale, Director of Marketing and Communications at Amber and BGA, and you're listening to the Ambition Podcast. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Paul Hargreaves, CEO of Fine Foods Wholesaler Cotswolds Fair. His organization became one of the founding UK B Corporations, or B Corps, which are companies that meet the highest standards of overall social and environmental performance and have been described collectively as the voice of business for the future, as businesses come to realize that their real purpose is to be a force for good. But today we're here to talk about Paul's new book, The Fourth Bottom Line, Flourishing in the Era of Compassionate Leadership, and to discuss the connection between compassion, leadership and purpose and their roles in the new normal of business. Well, hi, Paul. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us today for the podcast. I thought it might be quite useful before we begin if you could perhaps tell us a little bit about your career history to sort of um, set the scene a little bit. Yeah, so I, well, I, I struggle a bit with the word career in, in a way because it's it's really just just my life. And that's probably something we might get on to later on because I, I haven't in any sense of my life at any point had a kind of mapped out idea that I, what I was going to do uh, with my life. So I did a degree in zoology, um, which was, was all finished at the end of the third year and, and never <laughs> never happened again. Um, I then I did three years of sales, selling office furniture and then uh, coffee and tea machines. And then I went into charity work for about the next 12 or 13 years. This was in the, uh, well, when would this be? This would be in the early 90s in inner city London, um, Peckham and Deptford area, if you if you know it. Really run down, lots of social need, I mean, huge issues, massive uh, drug addiction issues, lots of theft, um, mainly single parents. It was... It was carnage. We we were doing you know what we could in in various aspects in, in kind of youth work, uh, children's work, and even some work with old people and working with prisoners and stuff like that. At times, extremely rewarding, um, but a lot of the time it was a few steps forward and and, and several steps back. Uh, whilst that was happening, I was uh, gradually, well, not me, my wife at the time, <laughs> gradually having children. And really, the money ran out. This is cutting a very long story short. So to try and make ends meet, I started buying products from the Cotswolds, um, artisan food products, and selling them to initially delis in London and then a few farm shops around the edge of London. And that's how the company Cotswold Fair was born. So we are now the main uh, specialty food distributor to about 16 to 1800 retail sites across the UK. But its, it's birth really was just something to make ends meet in a, in a poorly paid uh, charity situation in southeast London. I mean, I think that's a fantastic career history, actually. And I, I think, you know, you, you've touched on so many areas that we're, we're going to come back to later in the interview. I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, but prepare yourself for that. <laughs> the first question I really want to sort of ask you is, you know, you've been quite public about saying that you believe that there's a new generation of business emerging. And I find that fascinating. So I'm just really wondering what, from your perspective, you think to be the main characteristics of this new breed of business? Well, I think this is, this has been happening for a few years, but I think it has been massively speeded up during the pandemic uh, over the last 15 months. Businesses that are just there to make the owners or shareholders profits and rich in some cases 
are a thing of the past, in my view, if, if that's all the purpose of the businesses. The businesses that are thriving and, and flourishing and growing uh, these days, not, not in all cases, but more and more, this is true. They are, profit isn't the first thing they're thinking of. They're thinking of either a social purpose or a environmental purpose. And they're, they're looking to, to right some wrong in the world first and the profits follow. And it's a very different way of looking at it. In my experience, if you do that, actually, you can quite often make more profit anyway. Um, but obviously, that can't really be a motivation for doing it. And I think some people <laughs> might have started doing that now. But it, it's to do with the whole culture of the of the company. People come to work. They, in fact, people have never come to work as a number one reason um, to earn money. And that's often been down the list anyway. But I think that's more and more true with Chen said and, and Gen Y now. So businesses that have a purpose that are trying to do what they can to make the world a tiny bit better are generally places where people will want to work, people will enjoy working there, and they will be the successful businesses of the future. And I think for me, I mentioned that it came from the, the, the uh, charitable sector. For a lot of charity work is mopping up mess either created by governments or businesses over you know, any period of time. Businesses are in the prime position to make this world better than it is. I mean, we're living in a world where you know, climate change is an increasing disastrous uh, levels. Inequality has never been greater. And businesses, are really, the responsibility is on us as business people to be the ones making the difference. We're actually throughout history, not personally, but generally businesses since the Industrial Revolution have been largely responsible for the mess that we're in now. So it is up to us to make right the wrongs that business has done over the last 200 years. Absolutely. And I think that's certainly a value that, that we would very much share at, at Amber when we, when we sort of talk about purpose-led led business. And again, I'll, I'll come back to this um, slightly later in the interview, but we are here to talk about your new book, um, which is called The Fourth Bottom Line, uh, Flourishing in the Era of Compassionate Leadership, which is a fantastic title. And I think, you know, this is very much the era that is defined by compassion and is one that compassion is certainly necessary within. Well, Before we really sort of get into the, the details of the book, I'll be just interested to find out from you why why you decided to to write this book and what the sort of journey behind your authorship of it was. Yeah, so I can't answer that question without mentioning the, the first book because it kind of came out of that, which was Forces for Good. And that was really just uh, like a handbook for people wanting to do business as good, you know, the triple bottom line motif, people, planet, profit. That was going to be it uh, in that first book. But in the process of writing that, I realized that actually just having a desire to do the right thing, and yes, we must sort this out, mustn't we, will only get us so far. What really needs to happen, if we're going to see the, the systemic change we need to see, is us as leaders changing as well and becoming different, more compassionate, more vulnerable, more self-sacrificing, more servant-like leaders. Um, unless that level of personal change happens within us leaders and, of course, throughout all our, our people in our organizations, then we're not gonna, it's not going to happen. 
um, just a desire to do things better will get us so far, but it's not going to be enough in order to see the you know, to see the huge problems we have sorted out. And at the, at the root of that is compassion. It's compassion for people, the ones that work for you, the ones in the supply chain, the ones in your local community, and compassion for life generally in, in terms of um, reversing climate change. Uh, unless we've got that, I do think we'll run out of energy. And it's that compassion and desire and getting emotional about it and actually angry sometimes that is what's going to fuel us uh, as leaders leading the change that we need to see. I, I totally buy into that. And I think, you know, there is a, I don't know, there is this sort of very much professionalism versus the sort of softer emotion-led leadership um, that that I think is, is appropriate and required in the workplace at the moment. With that in mind, um, in terms of the themes of the book and, and what the sort of key ideas that, that you sort of put forward within within the book are i'd be interested to find out what you think to be the main characteristics of this compassionate style of leadership well i've got 50 in the book so i mean the way the book free is, to list them all <laughs> no i'm not going to do that anyway. <laughs> um so it, the actually interestingly i have to um publishing the first book i realized actually a lot of people don't seem to read these days and quite a few oh no i've, I've read the audible book uh, well no you haven't read it you've listened to it but you know that's the way i read books these days so it's a very kind of bite-sized chunks there's four or five pages a day looking at each of one of 50 different characteristics so there's a definition of the word uh four quotes a bit of you know story or two either from my experience or other people's experience, and then three action points to put that characteristic into action in that day that you read it. So the idea is it's read over 50 days. Now, some people are doing, the early people have bought it, some people are are doing that. Some are actually just, right, what shall I do today? And and just dipping in like that. But um, I think the important thing is it's the idea of the book, obviously, is that we we develop in some of these characteristics i mentioned a few already but uh, anonymity perhaps isn't isn't the correct characteristic of leadership that isn't often talked about you know too many of us and i'm including myself in this of uh, wanted to be the guy in lights at the at the front and actually sometimes that's okay but other times it's much better if the people that you're leading are the ones on the stage and uh, getting the glory sometimes for things they might not have even done being interdependent is another one. Um, I think for me, that's probably been one of the kind of biggest things uh, for me personally over the last couple of years is just to realise how interconnected all this is. We can't do anything now. I mean, the coronavirus is a is a good example of this, isn't it? If if a if something happened in Wuhan that impacted the whole world, that gives us an inkling of how interconnected everything is, and our actions as a business here have repercussions in, in all over the world in, in many ways. And actually getting that, we, we can all, yeah, 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 get that theory. But when that really gets us in our, in our middle of our being, it does make a difference to how we behave. So I won't, I won't give you any more. But, uh, yeah, there's 50, 50 characteristics of that, um, of different characteristics of, of good leadership and uh yeah, some some people will be further ahead in, in some than others, and some might speak to people more than others. But uh, if we could all inch our way forward to being 
better, more compassionate leaders, well, I think um, the world will be a, a better place. So say, for example, somebody's listening to the podcast and they sort of think to themselves, right, well, I, I need to change. I want to be more compassionate. I want to move in, in this direction and I don't know where to start. What would be your, I suppose, your top tip for re-engineering your mindset or thinking about how you behave in order to in order, in order to move forward in a, in a more sort of compassionate way? Well, I mean, the, the, the first day in the, in the book, it, it, and the, the, most of it is, is in random order, but this, the first and the, and the last are not. And the first one is self-awareness. I think possibly one of the biggest problems in, in leadership today is, is the lack of self-awareness. And no, I mean, I, I'm a classic. Most of what I've written is, is through mistakes I've made, by the way. Um, and I, I used to be very unself-aware of what, how what I said and did impacted other people. Um, so I think that's got to be got to be a key. I mean, probably people who who haven't got a level of that wouldn't pick the book up anyway. But yes, if we just ask ask other people, often we don't do this. You know, ask other people what their impressions are of us, and sometimes we might get a get a surprise. And you know, that that is actually one of the action points in that chapter is to ask other people how we come across. And and it's too, you know, we have we've had such a hierarchical way of leadership, and this is this is our fault, and it's also other people's fault for for looking at it in that way. Uh, we've got to move away from that. We've we've had an over masculinized if that's a word, leadership. And we've we've got to bring in the feminine. We've got to bring in the the, the softer side of, of leadership. Um, but we've had so many bad examples of leadership. And that's actually what this idea of the book was, was in my head for a, a while. And it was actually seeing some really bad examples of dispassionate rela- um, leadership right at the start of the pandemic, uh, back in March, April last year and just the lack of compassion some company leaders had for the people working in those companies was what triggered me to write the book and uh, fortunately I had lots of free time in that first lockdown because uh, all my meetings and conferences were cancelled so um, I did actually write all this in, in those first three months of lockdown last year. But I think what you what you've just raised is a great point because essentially what what I'm hearing is if you are prepared to take the time and reflect on yourself and and look inwards and and think about how you're leading and and, and wanting to do it better, then you're already in the right direction towards being more compassionate. Yes, I think I mean one of the big themes throughout the book really is is going from being a, a doing leader to a being leader, and I think again I've done this for years run around like a headless chicken and we we have this sense of value from activity don't we in the west not not in other parts of the world actually but we you know we um value people who are staying the latest in the office at night when we used to do that or coming in the earliest it's a load of nonsense to be honest um the best leaders are like you say ones that have reflection and go for walks in the countryside as part of their regular diary um there's there's a chapter on silent being silent in the book and there's also one on solitude um it's important we need we need those times of reflection i mean I've, i did just spend half an hour in the in the garden reading a, a book um 
And my wife came out actually and said, what are you, do- what are you doing out here? So it's a work day. Is that how much you're working? Um, because this is part of my work is to, is to learn and to, to move further in all this stuff. Now, we talked at the start of the interview about your, your very career and how you've worked in, in various sectors. And, and you mentioned, you know, you'd had worked in inner London with disenfranchised groups. Now, I know by definition, being compassionate isn't about, I suppose, for want of a better phrase, return on that investment. But can you give us an example of perhaps when when you were compassionate as a leader and this led to something positive in terms of your career? Yes. I mean, obviously, the, uh, one answer to this question would be this, you know, the day to day care that's one of the one of our key words in the company care for the people that work for us you know we we look after them as well as we can and all that that's a slightly boring answer so um a better one is for me a real turning point on the environment issue was um when i was I think it was actually. I think it was while I was writing the the first book, Forces for Good, and I was doing a, a talk at a chamber of commerce, and I put a slide up on the screen of um, some Bangladeshis who had been washed out of their homes, wading around in in water up to their waist. And I, I can't remember if I'd used that slide before, maybe not, but I just broke down on the stage because that was the first time I'd actually realised that. Climate change wasn't this theoretical thing that we keep yeah. talking about. It's actually killing people. Um, probably slow to to realise that, but the impact of that created a great, much greater desire and passion for us as a company to do a lot more in terms of the environmental impact of of how we behave as a company. And that that definitely was a turning point for me. And um, I did a kind of talk along those lines at a conference we had um, probably about a year later. And it was about 240 people there, mainly our, our suppliers. And half the room were actually having the same experience at the end of the talk. Now I know if you if you are hit like that in an emotional way, you are going to act better and more strongly and more quickly than if if you're not. So compassion for other people through what we're doing to the the, the climate is is something that will help us move faster on all this. I think as leaders, it's interesting you should say that we've we carried out some research towards the end of last year, and there is still a very small but significant group of people, even within our own network, that that are denying that that humans are responsible for, for the climate emergency, which, and I, I I mean, there's clearly a lot of work to, to still be done there. But I mean, I think that moves me to, to my next point, that if we talk about COVID and take COVID-19 as an example here and, and climate. So one of the, the, the really encouraging byproducts, I suppose, of the, of, of the COVID uh, crisis last year has been positive impact in the environment so less flights le- less pollution by 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 the very fact that we were all sort of locked in for for mm. for a, a certain amount of time during the year so that's almost like a sort of unintended positive that happened in the business world that you know because we weren't taking business flights because we weren't you know emitting so much the environment benefited but i was quite interested in in what you said a little bit earlier in the, in the interview about you know there was examples of poor leadership at the start of the of the covid epidemic and you know leaders needed to do things better so i'm interested to sort of see what your thoughts are on how covid impacted compassion do you think that over the past you know year 18 months 
in light of economic struggles, organizations have moved towards being more compassionate and thinking about staff and I suppose their mental health and, and the issues that they were facing during the, the pandemic? Or do you think that they've moved further from compassionate leadership in terms of thinking about the, I suppose, the, the economic and business imperatives that were put in front of them by the pandemic? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. And probably both have happened in, in different things. I think fear is, is a big thing. Sometimes fear causes us to act badly. And I think, you know, that probably, and I'm, I completely get some businesses have had a really, really hard time during the pandemic. And, and a, a kind of um, instant reaction to that is to just cut costs as rapidly as we can and and sometimes impacting on yeah. on other people harshly so i mean we're you know I'm, i know absolutely know and it's sometimes a bit embarrassing to say that we've grown massively during the, the pandemic so we've been in the the opposite situation so you could say well it's easy for businesses that have done well to show more compassion and yeah absolutely there's a there's some truth in that but i think I mean, I've been through a a period of, and this definitely helps, I've been through a couple of times in my life, three probably in total, where I've been absolutely at rock bottom. And one of those occasions was when I thought the business, we're going to lose everything. And I think if you've been through something like that yourself and had to almost write, okay, fine, you know, I'll let it go. I think it probably allows you to, it certainly develops resilience, but I think it also allows you to be and act more compassionately in, in difficult situations um, for the people that work for you. Yeah, I mean, both has happened, I, I, almost. And, and I think this is probably still true. It's certainly true in the first lockdown. that It's almost polarised situation. I think it's become more obvious which are the good companies and more obvious which are the bad ones. Um, and certainly I've had a lot of um, emails from people uh, who've read mainly the, the first book saying I'm, I'm leaving my job and this is during the pandemic and I've heard lots of stories actually in the last few weeks alone from people who have actually have had enough of this company I'm not going to work here anymore and in terms of um, for us we're a, a, a B Corp and that probably has had a massive impact on others as a company but in terms of attracting really good people to to come and work for us it definitely is more a lot more than it was before so i think it is i think the business world is getting more polarized and i do think that if some companies don't get their act together let's use the uh, polite expression um they will start losing more people and obviously that will have a big impact on their business and i I do think that the the good companies will be the ones that get the best people and are the successful ones of the future. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's a massive trend at the moment. I think that the recruitment market is so buoyant right now because there are so many vacancies because people have weathered the storm of COVID over the past 15 months. And now they're thinking, right, okay, well, I've had that security that I needed last year, but now I need to move to an organization that shares my purpose. And I think that on the flip side of that, it is the purpose-driven organizations that have, for want of a better word, thrived over the past year because they were true to what they believed and they supported their customers. They, They thought about you know, they stay true to their beliefs and their values and they were able to push forward. And mm. um, 
I mean, the last question I suppose I want to, to ask you fits very much in with that. Purpose is, is, is such an important part of business. And I think it has moved now from being a sort of PR fluffy term to, to being a genuine fourth bottom line. And I think that, that that's really important. And I think that the pandemic has really served to demonstrate that in real terms. I was just wondering just to, to close, thinking about an organizational level, what defines a purpose driven organization and and why you think in your own words that's important for for i suppose that the next stage of our new normal yeah i mean there's a lot of people talking about purpose and there's also a lot of purpose washing going on isn't there as well because it's, it's the thing to talk to do these days but a test of whether you really have got purpose deep within your dna of the company, I mean, I use the analogy of a, of a stick of um, you know, Blackpool rock. If you cut through a piece of rock at any point, the words Blackpool are, are there. I don't know if people sell this stuff anymore, but they used to when I was a kid. <laughs> they um, do. And, you, <laughs> and you can cut through any part of the, the organisation and, and then talk to anyone within the company, and they will have they will have an idea why the company exists. Um, if you can't, if that doesn't happen then I don't think you have got purpose embedded. And, and for us, you know, this process uh, probably took two or three years to truly get our purpose embedded. I mean, for us, the company started with purpose. I employed people out of prison and drug addicts to start with, and we fell away and, and came back to it. And B Corp was a really helpful, um, when we became a B Corp in 2015, helped us understand what our purpose was a lot more clearly but it probably took two or three years after that to for everyone in the company to to get it that that is the test i think if you can you can talk to the cleaner and they well the famous story isn't it, of um the guy the the cleaner at nasa um when jfk i think asked uh, what's your job he said i'm putting a man on the moon and to have everyone in the company knowing exactly why they're there and on also for everyone to come to be happy to come to work one of my big kind of things is is this work-life divide thing that we've got a we've got a break and i think the pandemic's helped with that with flexible working but not just seeing work as a a way to get a wage and then actually the real life begins at the weekends and holidays no if people enjoy being at the company they work for and feel like they're part of something other than making um, the shareholders or owners rich, which has never been a great motivation for coming to work, has it? If people know they're doing some good by coming to work every day, you're going to have happy people and you're going to have a company that's got purpose. Thanks, Paul. Um, I'm afraid that's all we've got time for today, but I think that's a great place to, to finish, actually, and, and look forward. So thank you very much for, for taking the time to, to speak to me today and all the best with the book. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, thanks again, Paul, for speaking to us today. As I mentioned at the start of the interview, Paul's book is called The Fourth Bottom Line, Flourishing in the Era of Compassionate Leadership, and it's available at all good book retailers. But if you want to find out more content around compassion, leadership, purpose, and their connection to the new normal of business, you can find a variety of articles on the Ambition website at www.associationofmbas.com forward slash ambition.